lose track of why they're there and what they're doing. And uh, I think in the church, we, we kind of do the same thing. And we don't want to just memorize a, a mission statement and we can say we can quote it and do it our our, uh, what's it called, our elevator speech, so we can tell somebody in the two minutes we're on an elevator what our church is about. But it is important for us to understand what our church is about. And it's not that our church is about anything different than what every church should be about, but it's just a good reminder sometimes. And so as we began this series in, in the first week in January, we began to talk about the fact that we are in the city and for the city. That's why... We're here. That's why we do what we do. That's why we are who we are. That we are salt and light in West Columbia. Um, It's not that there aren't other churches in West Columbia. It's not that there aren't good churches in West Columbia. But when the Lord was, was putting this together with different people who were involved in the process of deciding about City Church... The issue came down to, we're going to be in West Columbia. That we're going to be in the city and for the city of West Columbia. And that's where God has put us. That's why we're here. That's what we're about. And then we talked about, you know, how do we do that? What we do by doing that is we encourage others towards Christ and towards Christ's likeness. That our job is to lead people to understand who Christ is and what it means to follow him and to be his child. And so, some of that encouragement sometimes is, is fun. Some of that encouragement is nice. We like to hear it. Sometimes that encouragement is really more of an exhortation than an encouragement. It's a, hey, you need to tweak this. You need to go in this direction. And it seems like in the last 25 years, maybe, um, and I don't know if it's because we've kind of become more of a, a litigious society that it's like churches are afraid to exhort and encourage people to walk with the Lord because they're afraid somebody's going to get mad and leave their church and sue them. So, so they just kind of back off. And, and, and that's not what Christ has called us to be and do. And it's not that the church is this authoritarian uh, group of people who control your life either. But God has placed us together for a reason to help each other become more and more like Christ. And so we're here to encourage. And then last week we talked about that we're here to equip others to do, to basically how do we accomplish what God's called us to be and do. And I brought up that fearful thing that people who've been around church for a while hate to hear. Spiritual gifts test. You know, it's this, you hear it and the eyes glass over And they think, oh, please don't pass one of those out. Don't make us do that. We don't want to do that. You know, like I said last week, I've learned to cheat on them. I know what my spiritual gifts are. I know how to answer the questions to get the answers that I want. And so, but but the issue is not a spiritual gifts test. The issue is not being able to sit down and say, these are what God's gifted me to do, and that's all I can do. The issue is God has called each of us to have a part in the ministry he's called us to be a part of. It's not that, and here we don't even have paid staff members, but it's not that the elders are called upon to do all the ministry. It's not that if you're in a church that has paid staff members, that it's the paid staff members that are called to do all the ministry. It's that the body of Christ is called to do the ministry, and we are to equip and help one another to do that. Part of that is learning what our giftedness is. Part of that is learning how we best fit in the body. 
You know, but there's times when it means that it may not be our best fit, but sometimes we have to do things that may not always be the best thing. I believe God has given me the gift of teaching, but I'll be honest with you, my very first teaching experience, I was 17 years old and I was asked to teach 8th grade boys Sunday school. Now, I'll be honest, there was more discussion about flatulence and football than the Bible. Because it's 8th grade boys, right? I mean, what else do you talk about? And I honestly finished that year's experience thinking, I'll never teach again. I don't want to do this. This is not the way God's gifted me to be and do, so I'm not going to ever do it again. Um, And then God in his humor has stuck me in too many positions to where I teach now. So uh, he was saying, hey, it may not have been the best experience, but you can do it. And so, but we're here to, to figure that out. And so today, we're going to talk about our last statement is that we are here to engage the, the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our calling is to take the gospel throughout the world while engaging people with compassion and grace regardless of our circumstances. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We, we're pretty familiar with the passage. If you're not, you, you haven't been around much, but that's okay. He says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I know. I I work for a mission agency. So this is what you expect me to talk about, right? You know, this is the missions passage. This is what everybody, you know, every time you have a missions conference or you're around missionaries, this is the passage they talk about. And it's really designed for the missionaries, right? I mean, you know, are all of us called to go to the nations? What are we supposed to do here? You know, I haven't felt a call to go to outer Zimbabwe. Well, you know, that's okay. And so we need to decide what does this mean that we're going to engage the world with the gospel, that we're going to do that with compassion and grace regardless of our circumstances. Because the issue is, it's not just for missionaries. It's not just for pastors. We're all called upon to make an impact in the world. But, that seems like a big job. How are we going to do that? You say, well, how, how big is this job? of the world's population has no access to the gospel. You say, what does that mean, no access to the gospel? Well, when you drove here today, how many churches did you pass to get here? Did you listen to what used to be WMHK on the way here? Or a CD? Or, you know, do you have more than one Bible at your house? You know, the people who live around us have access to the gospel. Now, they may not have heard the gospel. And if they haven't, that's our, that's our fault. But they do have access to the gospel. But 42% of the world's population has zero access to the gospel. That's scary. That's a big job. You say, well, how are the 50 of us here at City Church going to do that? Well, we take it one bite at a time. 
God has placed us in West Columbia. There's no telling who God will lead to be impacted by city church that's one day may be impacting one of these unreached peoples around the world. When there was a little old lady in a Sunday school class praying for some obnoxious little kid named Billy Graham, did she have any concept of the impact she was going to have by praying for this little kid? You know, I don't know. I, I hate to admit it. I don't know anything that happened with those eighth grade boys <laughs> that I, I was around. They're probably none of them impacting the world with the gospel, but I don't know. But, you know, because I, I, that wasn't my focus at the time, I have to be honest. But um, I was just trying to get through that year. But, but you know, the issue is we don't know who we're going to impact and what's going to happen. And we don't know how God's going to use City Church. But whether it's reaching the, the 42% of the world's population that has no access... We can reach the people we go to work with every day. We can reach the people we go to school with every day. We can reach our neighbors. We can begin to share the gospel. But I know when I say that, everybody's stomach just tightened up. Share the gospel. Oh, man, that's scary. I don't want to do that. What if I do it wrong? What if I say the wrong thing? I don't want to share with this person. You know, what if I share with this person and they laugh at me? You know, what am I going to do? And so it, it is a, it should be a scary thing, but it is kind of a scary thing. But this message isn't for missionaries. J.A. Motyer says this, Wherever a willing heart commits itself to hear the call of God, And to do the will of God, the filling of the Spirit may reverently be assumed. See, it's a big job. But just like we just sang, it's not up to us by ourselves. The Spirit leads us. The Spirit empowers us. The Spirit fills us to do the work that He's called us to do. But there's two components here. He says, a willing heart and a commitment to hear and do God's will. Now, I've probably told this story before. If I have, suck it up. You're going to hear it again. Um, I'm getting old. I'm sorry. My stories get repeated, but you just got to deal with it. But 33 years ago, I'm sitting at a nice Mexican restaurant, whatever that means, um, in Riverdale, Georgia. And there's a young lady sitting across the table from me, and I say, Judy, would you marry me? And what she says is, you know I want to. Now, guys, what are you expecting at the end of that sentence? You know I want to, but, right? You know, that's what I'm thinking. I'm going, and then she just starts drinking her tea, and I'm going, oh, man, what does this mean? You know, we've been talking about this. This really shouldn't have been too much of a surprise. But, you know, <laughs> so it's that. Oh, but I say that because we do the same thing when it, means, when it comes to following the Lord. I want to follow the Lord, but I want to be 100% committed, but you just don't understand my schedule. You don't understand how busy I am. 
I mean, I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm running from one thing to the next, getting the kids ready for school, getting off to my job. I get to my job. It's just hectic all day long. I get home. We do dinner. I'm tired. I sit around. I go to bed, and I'm just worn out. And, and on some nights, I have to go to, to softball and baseball and cheerleading and everything else, and I'm running ragged. I just don't have time. I want to follow the Lord fully, but... See, it's not just the willing heart. That's part of it. But it's also a commitment to hear and do God's will. Now, we're going to have a quick quiz here this morning. And I don't think that uh, Preston's going to be able to beat everybody on this one. But uh, he might. You never know. Who is the first person in the scriptures who talks about being spirit-filled? Not everybody at once. Huh? David, okay, no. Daniel, no. All right, it's probably a name you wouldn't be able to pronounce even if you knew it. In Exodus chapter 31, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. First person that's mentioned in the Scripture being filled with the Spirit. Do you know what Bezalel's job was? He was to make the tent. And to make the the Ark of the Covenant. He was a craftsman. Wasn't a preacher. Wasn't a missionary. He was a craftsman. It says here... God has filled him with the Spirit of God with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table, its utensils. So if you think through what all went into the tabernacle. Now, we're not talking about the temple, which was built later on by Solomon. We're talking about a tent that went with the nation of Israel as they traveled around the wilderness, as they moved from Egypt to the promised land. We're talking about a tent made of goat hair and and then had the Ark of the Testimony and all these rituals that were used for leading people into the presence of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. That same word, that mercy seat, is what we see in in the New Testament when it talks about Jesus being our propitiation, our mercy seat that we go to for our salvation. And he says here that he's... he anointed this man with the Spirit so that he could make these things. Why? Because they needed to be nice? No, the issue was so that the presence of God could move with the people of God and so that all the nations around could see that that cloud that comes down on that tabernacle proving that God's presence is there. The Israelites were never called upon to invite everybody to come to Jerusalem to worship God. That's what ended up happening, but they were called upon to take the message to the world. 
And part of that was this was going to be this tent that moved around with them. That's why when David says, hey, we need to build a house, God said, hey, have I ever asked you to build me a house? You know, that's not what I wanted. I want you to be mobile. I want you to be impacting the world. So, so we see that God uses a craftsman, not just a missionary, not just a preacher. He uses craftsmen to make what needs to be made, to do what needs to be made, to, to point to the world who he is. Then we go to Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them because he was of the same trade. He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. We see a couple that are entrepreneurs. They have their own business. They make tents for a living. Paul was a tent maker. He went to stay with them, not just so he could have a job. That was part of it. But it would open up opportunity now for him to get into the synagogues and to share. And you say, well, well, Priscilla and Aquila, that's great that they made tents and they, they gave Paul a place to live and gave him a job. But this same couple, when Apollos comes to town and is teaching half-truth. Apollos wasn't teaching error. He just didn't have the whole story. And so he began to teach and these guys, and Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and go, Hey, let's, let's fill you in. You know, what you're saying is good, but you're stopping a little too short. So let's fill you in. And they fill Apollos in, and he begins to, to have an impact in the world because this, these entrepreneurs now have impacted him. And then Paul takes them, and he, he goes to Ephesus. And while he's there in Ephesus, he, he knows that it's time for him to move on. And what does he do? He leaves Priscilla and Aquila there with their tent-making business, to help lead the church in Ephesus. So we see craftsmen who are used by the Lord. We see entrepreneurs who are used by the Lord. And then in Daniel chapter 6, kind of a familiar story to us because as kids we've all heard of Daniel in the lion's den. But let's read what happens to get Daniel there. Why he ends up in the lion's den. It says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So it's not just craftsmen, it's not just entrepreneurs. Now God has taken a politician. That's, that's hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> and not just a politician, but a politician who was making a name for himself. He was moving up the ranks. He was being trusted with everything in the, in the kingdom. Now what happened was, some people came along and tried to to get Daniel in trouble, they had Darius 
come up with a new law that said you can't pray. And Daniel said, I don't care how high my position is. I don't care what kind of influence I'm having right now. I'm going to pray. Because I can't have the influence I'm going to have without the Spirit of God in my life. And that's what got him in the lion's den. But as God rescued him out of the lion's den, Darius turns his heart around. Whether he comes to know the Lord, we don't know. But he at least begins to respect Daniel's God. Now, why did Daniel do it? Partly because Daniel had that willing heart to understand and know God. But partly because he also had a commitment to hear and do God's will. Now, I want to share a testimony with you. And I don't share this testimony to bring honor to me. Paul, on many occasions, shares this testimony. We overcome the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. But I want to share with you my testimony that that shows you how I got to where I am right now. But also to help you see that it's not because I'm anybody special. But for some reason, early on in my, my life, I can remember... God putting in my heart a desire to help others. I don't know why. I mean, even as a little kid, I was always that one that if there was a kid being picked on at school, I I was going to befriend him. I don't know why, but that was just something that God had put in my heart. At a very early age, I I gave my heart to Christ. I can remember as a 12-year-old, God speaking to my heart that there were some areas in my life that I needed to, to get right with him. I can remember again as a 17-year-old, some of that, that same concept, that there were still some areas that I wasn't doing what I was called to do. In that same time frame, I started working at a drugstore. And as a 16-year-old, I started working. By the time I was 17, almost 18, I was the assistant manager at the drugstore. For some reason, God was moving me up in leadership positions. Never really sat and thought, I want to be a leader somewhere, but... But it just happened. That's the way God, God brought it about. And then at 17, I remember sitting on a beach in Panama City Beach, Florida, and saying, Lord, at that time I wanted to be an oceanographer. And I said, Lord, you know, I'm not going to be able to have an impact on the world sitting on a boat and dealing with fish all the time. So I want to do whatever you call me to do. And then at 20 years of age, I can remember standing in the heat in Gallup, New Mexico. Now, it's about 110 degrees, but it's dry heat. <laughs> yeah. um, 110 is 110. I don't care how dry or wet it is. Um, but digging a post hole to build a fence for an Indian reservation in Gallup, New Mexico. So standing out there with blisters on my hands and sweating, it felt like the Lord said, I want you to do more. I want you to go further than this. And so I, I committed to, to serve him however he called me to serve him. Next Christmas, I met a young lady who tricked me when she said yes about marrying me. Um, but we, we felt like God was calling us to serve in missions. We finished Bible college. We sent out applications to mission agencies. At the time, we felt like God was calling us to go to Micronesia. Anybody know where Micronesia is? <laughs> it's a little group of islands off of Southeast Asia. 
and no mission agency would accept us. And we thought, man, what is, what's the deal? Why can't we go? And with the exception of a, a two and a half year stint in the Bahamas, God has never allowed us to go live somewhere overseas. We've always been here, but God has, in that process, the same thing he did at Reed Drugs, he's moved me up in leadership positions. And so there came a point in time when I had to say, what are my gifts? How come I'm not allowed to go and be a church planter or be whatever God's called me to be somewhere overseas? Why has he kept me here? And part of that is because the gifts and the abilities that he's given to me I'm better suited to help and train and mobilize others to go than I am to go by myself. That was a hard thing for me to come to understand. That was a hard realization for me because I wanted to go. When I travel, I, you know, Judy will tell you, when we, I was in Bible college, everybody that spoke in chapel, I'd come home that day going, this is what we're going to do, you know, because I was excited about doing ministry. And I, I still, I go to Azerbaijan, I come back, I, okay, I want to move there. You know, I got, and, but, but God's not opening that door. Now, why do I tell that story? Because that story seems to indicate if you have a willing heart and a commitment to do, hear and do God's will, you're going to end up being a missionary. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that sensitivity that God gave me at an early age would have done absolutely no good if I didn't make certain commitments that said, I'm going to follow through with this. I had a lot of friends who, during youth ministry days, were committed to the Lord, who had a heart for the Lord. And yet somewhere along the lines, when life kicked in, the Lord kind of got put on the back burner. Oh, he gets brought up when somebody dies. Oh, we're praying for you. Oh, the Lord be with you. And I've seen it. I've been around church all my life. Been in church leadership positions for 30 some odd years. I've seen the, I really, you know I want to, but ideas in people's lives. For us to engage the world with the gospel, the people at City Church have got to go beyond I want to. We've got to go beyond, yeah, it makes me feel like I should. We've got to decide we're going to make a commitment to hear and do God's will. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, that's what we're about as a church, to hear and do God's will. It's not just hearing on Sunday mornings, so that's part of it. It's hearing in city groups. It's hearing in our daily time with the Lord. But many times we hear what we want to hear. So we need to say, Spirit, lead me. Show me what you want me to do. You know, we've talked about the passage in Psalm 37 where it says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I've heard that passage abused many times over. If you give your heart, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He's going to give you everything you want. That isn't what that passage says. 
says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you your desires. He will change your desires. The problem is we delight in everything but. So our desires go a direction that they don't need to go. But if we're willing to say, Lord, I want my desires to be you. I want my desire to be to know you the way that I need to know you. Then he will begin to give us clarity and direction as to where he wants us to serve. And more than likely, he's not going to call people from here to go overseas. He might. But he's called you to be right where you are right now. And I've heard people say, well, you know, I feel like God's called me to go overseas. Well, have you shared the gospel with your neighbor? No, I'm afraid to share the gospel with my neighbor. Then then don't go overseas, man. But I mean, on short-term trips, it's easy. It really is. On short-term trips, you know, because you've got a week, you know, they're mad at you, you're leaving. (laughs) Sorry, shared the gospel with you, you don't like me too bad, I'm going home. But the person who lives next door to you or sits next to you at work or sits next to you in school, that's a little bit harder. But we're called upon to engage people with the gospel. Now, we do that with compassion and grace. God's not called us to go beat it into people's heads. He's called us to share the message of the gospel with compassion and grace. So my question to you this morning is, do you have a willing heart? And do you have a commitment to hear and do God's will? Because when we get to that point, that's how we're going to be in the city and for the city and make the impact God's called this church to make. Let's pray.